This is most certainly true. In the greatest act of selfless mercy, God sent His own Son into our world to die for your sins. And we can't stop talking about it. We now present this sermon, recently delivered at Grace, to you. The Holy Gospel. Luke's Gospel, chapter 16, the basis for the sermon today. And Jesus said, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father, Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, Remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Who do you think of when you hear the phrase living a life of luxury? Elon Musk might be one that comes to mind. He started a little company called Tesla, the later started another little company called SpaceX, and now in his spare time, he travels to outer space. He's worth $263 billion, and that means that if he wants something, he can have it. If he wants something, he can buy it, including most companies. Sounds like a pretty good life. Roger Federer just retired from professional tennis as one of the most illustrious and successful, accomplished tennis players that the sport has ever seen. Throughout his career, he amassed $1.1 billion in winnings. Seems like a pretty good gig. Find a sport that you love, something that you love, something that you might do for free if someone asked you nicely, and then convince someone to pay you an obscene amount of money to do that thing that you already love. That, to me, sounds like the good life. J.K. Rawlings 
dreamt up a fictitious character named Harry Potter, and now seven books later, she's worth over a billion dollars. She sits back and just waits for the royalty checks to roll in. She made over $700 million on the movies alone. She doesn't have to work another day in her life, and she'll continue a pretty healthy and steady flow of income. That, to me, sounds like living the good life. We are tempted to wonder and marvel at people who seem to have it made in the shade. We work hard every day, but we'll never even scratch at the amount of money that people like that make. Often we might wonder to ourselves, what would it be like if I could live the good life? The idea that wealth and possessions comprise a good life, that's not something that our country or our culture invented. No, it was a prominent idea in Jesus' day as well. And Jesus understood the short-sightedness of that kind of thinking, and he understood the consequences of a heart that went along with those thoughts. And so he had in mind to teach what it really means to live the good life. He taught that truth by telling a story, a story about two men that lived in the same city, and yet they lived worlds apart. He taught us that living the good life is not dependent on what you have, but on who has you. Jesus sets the stage by introducing us to the first person in his story. We don't know his name. We don't know much about him, how he amassed such wealth. We just know that he was wealthy. He dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Purple was the color of nobility in Jesus' day because of its expense, and purple was expensive because of the lengths that you would have to go to in order to make that kind of fabric, in order to secure the dyes that were needed. Kings wore purple because they had the wealth to back up that kind of lifestyle. We don't know if this man was nobility or maybe he was just the king of his own castle, but it certainly showed that he had wealth. Another thing that showed that he had wealth is the size of his home. His home was big enough that it needed a gate. And that's where Lazarus would sit. This man had money. This man had fame. He probably had power. He was living the good life. And as if that man needed to have his lifestyle spotlighted, Anymore, that's precisely what happens when we meet the next person in the story, a poor beggar named Lazarus. In a lot of ways, Lazarus's life was the opposite of the rich man's. He didn't have a secure, steady income. He had to rely on the generosity of those who walked by. He didn't have consistent meals as compared to the rich man who had his three squares, and I'm sure it was fine dining every time. He didn't have... Power? No, he relied on friends to carry him. He didn't even have the ability to walk. Lazarus was definitely not living the good life.
was he? That's precisely the question that Jesus wants us to answer today. What does it mean to live the good life? The world answers that question, possessions, fame, power, and oftentimes we fall into that kind of thinking too. We answer that question at times in the same way. Jesus has a different answer. Jesus blesses us with wealth. Not so that we can accrue as much as possible. Not so that we can find comfort or security or place our hope in it. But he gives us wealth so that we can carry out the vocations that he has given us. So that we can provide for our families and friends. So that we can look to the needs of others and fill their needs in the plenty that he has given. He gives us possession so that we can be a blessing to others. Too often we find ourselves hoarding wealth. We find that it's more fun to spend money on ourselves. It's more fun to make our lives comfortable, even if it's at the expense of the comfort of others. And if you took a long, hard look in the mirror, you'd have to admit, too often we end up finding security and comfort in the wealth that we have. God calls on us to use wealth to be kind and compassionate to one another, to serve those in need and in the process to serve him. God doesn't want us to put our trust in our wealth. Regardless of the life that he's given us, regardless of the means that we have, whether our lives resemble the rich man or or whether we're more like the beggar, God wants us to put our trust in him. But the devil wants the opposite. The devil loves it when God's people put their trust in wealth and possessions. He loves it when they look to it instead of to him. And really, it's a fill-in-the-blank temptation. The devil loves it when there is anything that stands in between us and our God, when there is anything that receives the worship, the honor, the glory that our God deserves. And that's why the devil tempts us so strongly. That's why... He tempts us towards materialism and towards greed. He wants nothing more than for us to take our eyes off Jesus and to put it on the things that we have. We end up believing the devil's lie, believing that living the good life is about the things that we can compile for ourselves. Thank God that Jesus helps to change our hearts and that he changes our minds. That we can see that living the good life is not about what we have, but about who has us. The rich man and Lazarus, they lived worlds apart. And the distance just grew in death. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Which of the two had a better funeral? We don't know if Lazarus had a funeral at all. Did those friends that would carry him daily to the rich man's gate, did they stand by and remember him? Did they thank God for the life that 
he had given and now had taken, or were they glad to not have that daily chore any longer? We imagine that the rich man had an ornate funeral. He probably had it planned out, spelled out exactly how his name would be remembered, exactly how people would be reminded one last time of the greatness that was him. The only details we have about Lazarus' funeral are this. The angels carried him to Abraham's side. And would you want anything more than that? More prestigious than any graveside ceremony. Far, far more consequential than a parade through the streets of London is the funeral procession that Lazarus was blessed to receive because of the faith that dwelt in his heart through a gift of the Holy Spirit. Abraham's side in heaven is where Lazarus was because he knew the truth. Because he understood that life's not about this world or its possessions or the things that we can gather for ourselves. Life's not about how much is in your bank account or how big your house is. Life, living the good life. It's not about what you have. It's about who has you. In death, both men came to learn a lesson. A learn, they learned a lesson about living the good life. The rich man lived life to the fullest and gathered for himself as much as he possibly could. And then, when he died, he found out how frivolous that lifestyle really was. And likewise, Lazarus, who didn't have much at all, who relied on others' handouts in order even to survive, in death he found out what was really important. He found out that he had the best riches of all the whole time. He had the riches of faith in Christ Jesus, and that gave him an inheritance that would never spoil or fade it was living the good life to be in the family of God. Do we always bear the humble attitude that Lazarus had? Do we always show his kind of contentment? Too often we feel like we've drawn the short stick in life. Too often we feel like things are unfair, like the problems that we're facing in this world, they are just beneath us. We shouldn't have to be going through them. Look again to Lazarus. Lazarus went without many of the things that we take for granted every day, the ability to walk, the knowledge that there's food in the refrigerator at home waiting for us, knowing where our support will come from through a steady means of income. Lazarus lived without any of these things, and yet he was content. More than that, he was happy, filled with joy to be considered worthy to be called a child of God. Lazarus rejoiced because he understood that he truly was blessed. Doesn't Lazarus' life put our lives into perspective? Suddenly, the strength or consistency of our Wi-Fi signal isn't the big deal that we often make it out to be. Suddenly, the signal on our cell phone or on the satellite dish not such a huge deal. 
suddenly a few points up or down in the stock market. Doesn't seem to be as pressing anymore. Lazarus had it right. He didn't have the luxuries that many of us enjoy. He didn't have the luxuries that we take for granted every day, but he had the one thing needed. He had the one most precious treasure, and no one could take it away. He knew that he was living the good life because Jesus held him in his protecting arms. You and I are living the good life. Even though we often dwell on the negative, we're living the good life. Even though we sometimes forget, even though we don't always consider it to be the case, it's true. We're living the good life because we have forgiveness. We have the forgiveness of sins won for us and given for us freely by Jesus. Christ Jesus forgives our sins with his perfect life. Lived in our place. Jesus resisted temptations to hoard wealth for himself. He resisted temptations to be filled with greed. Jesus didn't live a me first attitude, but it was you first. And he lived for me first. Jesus was willing to be poor so that we could be rich. He was willing to humbly give up everything, even life itself, so that you and I could live. Not just here on earth, but that we could live with him forever in heaven. Jesus' life here on earth, it was hardly a life of luxury. That's what he gave up. He gave up a life of luxury as the king of heaven and came to stand in your shoes and in mine. He came to live a humble life that he didn't deserve to live. Yet he was willing to do it so that we could be forgiven. He was willing to do it so that we could be rich. Jesus gave up a life of luxury so that we could live a good life. So that we could live the good life. With him in our lives, with faith in our hearts, and with hope. Sure and certain hope that our Savior will never leave us or forsake us. That we have a place in heaven, that just like Lazarus, one day the angels will carry us to Abraham's side, and there we will rejoice with saints and angels, and there we will celebrate that our Savior's love means that this will be the unending days and the unending glory. And our Savior Jesus gives us what we need. He gives us comfort and hope in the meantime. We don't have to wait for the good life Sometime in the future, we live the good life today because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We live the good life today because Christ Jesus has claimed us to be his own, has washed us from our sins, has conquered our enemies, and promises to walk with us every step of the way. We live the good life because Jesus has chosen to bless us in the way that he knows is best. And so we can thank God for what he's given us. For the lives that he's allowed us to give. No longer do we need to dwell on what we don't have, but we can celebrate in what we have because it's a lot. Our God has filled our basic physical needs and so much more. He opens his hand of blessing and richly pours out our desires and our wants. 
He's covered every physical need and, and given us the spiritual gifts that we could never attain to on our own. You, my friends, are living a good life with Jesus in our present and in our future. Now we can live our lives to his glory. Now we can recognize the rich blessings that he's put in our lives and we can put them into use in a way that brings glory to him and is for the benefit of others. We can use the many blessings that he's given us to show love and compassion for those in our family, to those brothers and sisters here in our family of faith. Maybe it's the people we've never met before. God gives us ample opportunity to be kind and compassionate and loving because that's what he has done for us. So whether you make a six-figure income or not, whether you are powerful and famous or not, you can rejoice in the fact that you, in fact, are living the good life. You are living the good life because you know that the good life is not comprised of what you have, but in who has you. Faith in Christ is all that matters. He gives us peace and joy and security as we live our lives in service to him and to one another. And he gives us that sure and certain, confident hope that we will spend an eternity with him in glory. Jesus is our brother. Jesus is our friend. And that means that we are living a good life. more about God's grace or to support this ministry, please visit gracedowntown.org today. This grace is for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.